0: Hello, John. Hi, Dan. How are you? Uh, pretty chill. Yeah. Yeah. I've been awake 18 minutes, so oh. for five of those minutes, I was just sort of rubbing my eyes. And then uh, there was three minutes where I was focusing on getting a cup of coffee
1: you like to cut things pretty close. You like as, as they say, you like a close shave.
0: I don't have another way of doing it, sadly. Uh, I wish that, that I could uh, do something differently. I wish I could have set my alarm, for instance, for 1040. But if I had done that, I would have uh, just hit the snooze bar. So here I am.
1: The last time that we talked about your sleep schedule... You were saying you were only getting something like four hours a night, and I said that's yeah. that was not sustainable. No, no. Has it changed no. or? Is it, is it I still got four,
0: like, four. I got four and a half hours of sleep last night. So yeah, the, the, it's trending up. So
1: that's good. Like four and a half is good. No, it's is better than
0: four.
1: I mean, is that what you've been getting for still?
0: Uh, still not doing. so so hot on getting it. On getting it. Uh, getting it more than. woo You know, like it's to the point where if I look at if I look and I see like, oh, 545, I can get five hours and 45 minutes of sleep. I think if nothing, if I don't screw anything up somewhere along the line by waking up in the middle of the night or having to, you know, fight a dragon or something. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, 545, that's manageable. It's not, though. Um, And what are you uh, usually
1: doing at that time? Like is Nothing. there a certain thing or is it no. are you reading, are you shopping yeah, online or gambling? Reading, 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 reading. Like reading books, reading online?
0: Both. Both. I've got like five books halfway finished that are all stacked on top of each other on my on my dresser. I've got fifteen half finished crossword puzzles. I've got
1: Are you in 40. bed usually? Or are you in a chair? Yeah, 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 in bed. Yeah. In bed.
0: We've got 40 unfinished projects around the house. You can't
1: do those from bed, can you? Maybe
0: you can. Yeah, sometimes I can. (laughs) What was the last (laughs) unfinished project I did in bed? Oh, you know, I take things... uh, You Generally, like the other day, I decided I was going to get rid of every shirt that I couldn't get buttoned around my neck. (laughs) You know, I have a large large neck. Yeah, I've heard. Yeah, and so, um, you know, it's not like grotesquely large but it requires that i if i buy an off the rack shirt i have to think about it an off the rack extra large collared shirt is not guaranteed to be able to button around my neck and that's a uh it's an arbitrary standard 90 percent of the shirts i wear i don't wear a tie but it's a small matter it's a small matter that when i go out into the world and i know that I cannot button the top button of my shirt for whatever reason. It doesn't like plague me throughout the day, but it is a it is a thing where I look at a shirt and I go, you are incomplete.
1: Yeah, you are a, ni- yeah.
0: you're a nice shirt. I like you. I like to wear you, but you are incomplete. You cannot be buttoned. So I, I decided I was going to put on every shirt I have and decide whether or not I could get the top button buttoned. And so I did this, I went through this process, but there was an entire class of shirt where I could almost get the top button buttoned. Like if I, if I went, I could button it and then I would, and I've, I've done this Then I'd be walking around, not with a shirt that's like choking me, not, it doesn't, it doesn't look to the outsider like a, like the neck of a shirt that is too tight. Sure. But it's, it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable, but here are all these shirts, nice shirts, shirts. I like that. I can get buttoned. Now, if I got rid of all of those, I would have gotten rid of a lot of shirts. Some really nice shirts that I like, but if I don't, if I only get rid of the ones that just are like grossly don't fit, I haven't really done a big prune. So, and I also don't like to do things halfway. I don't want to just give away half of the shirts that almost fit. I want to either get rid of the shirts that don't fit, including the ones that almost fit, but don't. Or I have to, I have to move the line all the way back to, if I can, if I can get a button, if I can physically button it, re- regardless of whether it's comfortable or not, it, it qualifies. So I got very confused and then it was in the middle of the night. And there were all these shirts stacked on my bed in different piles representing the degree to which they almost fit. I was like, you're a crazy person. Put these shirts back, put these shirts back on the shirt rack and go to sleep. But I was, it was deeply in that project. And it wasn't just that it was, it's not mechanical, it's not the, the act of it that's Keeping me away. How many shirts do you think you had to process out? Thinking about it, well, that's the other problem. I probably have 120 shirts, dress shirts. 120. Yeah, because you know, I've got a, I've got like, I've got like pale pink. I've got a kind of orangey pink. I've got a couple of different width widths of stripes in candy stripe pink i've got pure pink i've got dark pink i've got like raspberry pink i've got pastel raspberry pink and all of those are different shirts for different moods different pinks but i have that many shirts across all the different colors and then there are the plaid shirts Different colors and fabrics and styles. White shirts. Tuxedo shirts.
1: And at some point though, you know, it seems like you maybe only need one or two pink shirts. It
0: might it might seem that it might seem that
1: way. And do you have the space to store 120 shirts?
0: I do because I live in a big house and I'm a bachelor. So are you like one of
1: those like you know how they say if you have a goldfish and you keep the goldfish in a small uh, small tank, you know, three gallon, five gallon tank, it'll stay small. But if you put it in a hundred gallon tank, it'll just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Are, are you like that? Not in your physical self, but with the things that you possess that like, if we ge- if you have more space, you'll just start filling it up because it's there. Yes. Yeah. It's so like if, if you had just a small closet, if you were in like a one room studio apartment, you'd have like what? Five shirts you wouldn't even, you'd have to do laundry midweek to get through the week. But if you have like a 2,500 square foot house with lots of bedrooms and closets and storage attics, and maybe you have a basement, I don't know what you have. Then all of a sudden now you're like, well, now I need 120 shirts.
0: When I lived in a house that had a, where I had a normal sized space, um, it was full to bursting. Uh, it's just that then I moved to a bigger space where full to bursting became a larger, um, became a larger order. I I always said, you know, I, I went to Gonzaga university for the first couple of years of college. And during my time there, you know, I was the freshman that got in the most trouble and I was the sophomore that got in the most trouble and it wasn't like um, one kind of trouble. I was in trouble with the school, but I was in trouble with the baseball players. I was in trouble with the theater director. I was in trouble with a handful of different organizations on campus, student life groups. I was in trouble with the Knights and Spurs. Like everything I did, it was troublesome. It was. I was a problem. I was a problem to my friends. Mm. But there was a, um, you know, there was a Murphy's Law aspect to it, or a, a, like I was in, <coughs> excuse me, I, I was in, I was in just exactly the right amount of trouble with all of those things, with all of those different people and groups, where it was enough trouble that, but but not so much that I was just. Um, expelled not so much that I was arrested not so much that it ever really precipitated that many fistfights it was just the right amount of trouble to be always in hot water with everybody and I miscalculated it and actually did get uh like I did get removed from Gonzaga And it was a, you know, and I, and what, when it happened, I was shocked and I, and I lobbied, 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 lobbied to get back in and they let me back in. And then I was in just the right amount of trouble. But the second time they removed me, they said, you are now removed. Do not try to get back in. Oh, man. And I was like, oh, fuck, I did it again. But what I realized later was if I'd been at the University of Washington that whole time, the standard for being in trouble at the University of Washington was a lot higher because at Gonzaga, it's a small school and they're watching you all the time. It's a Catholic school. They're they're monitoring you. Everyone's monitoring everyone there. At the University of Washington, nobody's monitoring you. I mean, they barely are. They've got 50,000 other kids to watch. And so the standard, the, the, um, whatever the threshold of being in trouble was, was way, 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 way higher, but I would have found it (laughs) because I, because I always lived my life there right in the border of the threshold between, you know, like everybody's pissed everybody, you know, like I am failing to meet expectations, whatever those are, but just under the level where. I can really be prosecuted, you know, and I don't just mean by the cops, but, you know, prosecuted by, you know, and, and what it builds up, frustration builds up in people and they, they let it out on me. But, but at the University of Washington, if I'd started there as a freshman, I think that I would have been in in exponentially more trouble because it was that much harder to find what the limits were. And I, I I see that pattern repeated throughout my life. You know, that it's just like, oh, here like like for instance this morning, I we have a show at eleven o'clock and my alarm was set for ten fifty. Mm. You're cutting now, it cutting it close. That's crazy. That's crazy. I should be able to set my alarm for ten thirty. And I think most people in the world would think that wasn't enough time. One half hour to get up and get splash water on your face and sit down and, and do a intelligible podcast right but i just can't
1: i i don't think i think people are still enjoying the show if that makes you feel better Mm, mm. i'm not saying that i'm not saying that the show doesn't suffer but i'm saying i think people still enjoy it
0: who knows who knows whether it suffers or not i mean who knows whether anybody would even like me if i wasn't half asleep maybe they would be like oh my god that guy Half asleep is a nice state. You know, it's in between state. It's a, it's a borderland. And by the end of the show, I'm fully awake. You know, you, you've, you have known. We're actually getting like the,
1: the wake, the waking process. Like we're getting it. Yeah.
0: Where it's at first, I'm like, I don't know what I'm talking about. And then by the end, I'm like, I know what I'm talking about. Right. Anyway, that's where we're at. That's where we're at today i I've got too many shirts. I don't wake up in time, but I haven't been you know there haven't been any, the police have not knocked on my door in many years. let's go ahead not I don't think i think there's all, there's always a general level. I feel a, always a general level among my friends of just sort of frustration with me, but I know a lot of that is just kind of normal paranoia and and fixation on oneself. I wrote, I wrote a text to a friend not very long ago where I was like, "Are you mad at me?" And they wrote back and said, "No." I said, "Oh, that's all. I just hadn't heard from you in a long time, and I thought, you know, when I don't hear from somebody for a long time, I assume they're mad at me." Yeah. And then uh, this friend, very nice friend, uh, for a while, for a couple of months, would just send me texts like, "Hi, how oh, are just you? i mad just, at you. Yeah, okay. I like <laughs> I was that. Like, that's great." After a while I, was, I said thank you you know like I won't I won't assume you're mad at me anymore if I don't hear from you you don't have to do this <laughs> although right now I'm not 100 percent sure that that person's not mad at me uh how are you Dan how's it going over there you uh, you you had some uh, you, you had some very unusually you don't normally do this you you sent me a text with with some things you wanted to talk about today you never do that. Well, be, like, because I like, kind of I I like when
1: you uh, freestyle, you know.
0: Oh, I know, but, you know, this can be a current events podcast just as Yeah, easily. we could pivot pretty easily, I would think. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you know, if you want to, like, dive right into, a, to like, a topic, um, I'm 100% ready to roll. Well, definitely. I, um, I would
1: love to, to, to pivot into a topic. Before we pivot into the topic... I want to promote our Patreon a little bit.
0: Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Because
1: you and I talk about this a lot. Most of what we talk about is now about the like after dark stuff that we're doing for the Patreon listeners. We have addressed so many things. I feel like the people who aren't clued into that should hear somehow they need to like get an idea of what goes on over there because it's not like this. It's not just more of this. I want to be, up front it's not more of this it's not like extra Uh you know it's not like well you're getting an hour of this now there's another hour of the same thing it's not it's a whole different it's like the the kimono is wide open
0: Mm -hmm. on
1: that we've heard Mm -hmm. what have we heard what have we talked about on there we heard about you you addressed uh your bisexuality Mm. i talked about uh, in, 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 secrets about podcasters and, uh, the secret history of podcasting. hmm. Um, honestly, we've t- answered, we've helped a lot of people.
0: Well, and, in there. and, uh, like, you know, as, as has been recorded, I've always been somewhat ambivalent about, um, crowdfunding across the board, across all boards. But, uh, since the so we've done two after darks yeah, and this week we've received a lot a lot, a lot. Of really interesting viewer mail that is asking about stuff that we really I don't feel like we could really I mean not do it never, no we couldn't do it here I've never shied away from a topic we couldn't do it here but there's just it's other people's business like uh like 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 heavy questions about stuff that i really want to talk about but it wouldn't be right to do it on this side of the of the uh of the bookcase right yes um so anyway so I see the I, I do see the value of this the after darkness of it
1: I wouldn't say that and, we're, we're we're holding things back from the regular listeners but I feel no, like
0: it's just a different
1: animal yeah, it's a whole different beast so if you want if you want to get part of that get in on that it's patreon.com slash roadwork yeah and you can there's a lot of people who I think they they don't really want to support us they just want the extra <laughs> content so they donate like a dollar <laughs> and I think we get like 60 cents out of that which means uh-huh. we get 30 cents each. Yeah. Um, but they're in, they still get it. They're all right. It's all right.
0: I like what a carny you are about this stuff. I just, I picture you like in a top hat. Like, yeah, to the scene, that's me. Like scene in the jerk where you're wearing a, a, a bow tie <laughs> yeah. that spins and uh-huh. new wave sunglasses. This is exactly like,
1: what it is. It's what it's like. Step right up. But John created different tiers for the patrons we have flight fl- yeah well you named them
0: oh oh i named them flight yeah.
1: lieutenant yeah flight squadron lieutenant. leader wing commander group captain air commodore uh-huh air uh-huh. marshal air chief marshal this i don't we like we have i want to go on record and say we have an air chief <laughs> marshal one no yes really? we do That's fantastic. that is a hundred dollar or more per month donating to us
0: I want air chief Marshall <laughs> to get a special coin of some, kind we need to or get, or we special... need to do
1: challenge coins. That's that we were talking about, uh, about t-shirts and mugs and, uh, pins and other things. And a handful of people wrote in and they're like, uh, love you guys, but you're both dumb. What your audience wants are challenge coins. So
0: yeah, we're looking
1: into, to that too.
0: Well, I want uh, anyone who, who, elects to become an air chief marshal i want to do something special for them oh I'm yeah not sure. i'm not they sure need more than is, just an
1: extra hour of uh you know of talk
0: well no no that's what they're buying into but oh. i personally just want to go do something
1: and you want to have like dinner that, with that person
0: i don't i don't want to set up some standard where they're like where's my dinner
1: right i think that'd be great sure. a dinner with a dinner with john
0: oh yeah it is great
1: air chief marshal i mean one of you get an affogato with john
0: you get a chance to get a chance to have that the great satisfaction of buying me dinner. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like a dinner I'm going to pay for.
1: We would like to say thank you very much to Beachbody on demand. I actually started a new workout on Beach Body on demand. It is called the focus T25. And I started this because, you know, as, as uh, I've talked about here on the show, I uh, do what's called powerlifting, which other people would just call weightlifting. It's, it's you, you go into a gym and you lift heavy weights until you uh, feel like you can't lift anything anymore, and then you're done. And I do that usually two to three times a week. And some of the other days, I'll, uh, I, might, I might row on a, on a rower, but I wanted something that would kind of inject some really good cardio. And so I was researching the Beach Body On Demand stuff, and I found a program that sounded perfect. And uh, so here's what it is. These are really short workouts they are only like 25 minutes, but you get really great results from them. And this is the thing. They basically tried to condense down like an hour's worth of workout into 25 minutes. And it's, it's, a, I would say this is like an intermediate workout. It's a 10 week program. And this is really, really great. Cause you get to that point where you're like, okay, you know, I can deadlift a couple hundred pounds. I can run up the stairs with my kid on my back. This is great. But like you want to look a little bit better. You know what I'm talking about? Okay. This is a great workout. Now they've got tons of other workouts too. They don't just have this one. They've got tons of them. You've probably heard of the P90, P90X. There's one called Insanity. There's a 21 day fitness program. They've got uh, stuff for your abs. If that's your thing, they've got yoga. They actually have like a three week yoga retreat. All built in, all um, world-class trainers, some of the best trainers that you've ever heard of. They're all in here. They're doing some of the best programs. They have over 700 workouts, all levels of fitness, beginner, people who have never worked out before, up to people who are like super advanced weight. I mean, they've got everything, Hit workouts, yoga, like I said, dance workouts that you can do. Um my kids love the there's some that are kind of not really targeted toward kids but ones you can do with your kids get them involved you you know and you can do this stuff on your schedule in your own house most of them don't even require any extra equipment and there's some that are as short as like 10 minutes so you really don't have an excuse like everybody has 10 minutes in their day to go and do something and if you have more time or you have more goals Well, no big deal. Just pick a different workout when you're graduate to it. It's all there. In the time it takes you to like drive and park to a gym, you could already be finished doing your workout. You can watch these on your computer, on your, if you've got one of those smart TVs, if you've got a tablet, if you've got a phone, a Roku, an Apple TV, a Chromecast, they have an app for everything, literally everything. And what's amazing, and this is how I started it too, is you can start it for free and watch Beachbody On Demand course is totally for free. There's a million people doing this. You can be one of them like I am. And here's what you do. Because these guys are old school, they have a different way for you to sign up to get this plan. You text the word roadwork, one word, roadwork, on your phone, and the number you text it to is 30-30-30, 30-30-30. You can do this right now while you're listening to the phone. You can do it whenever you are listening to the show. You can do it on your phone anytime you want. Text "roadwork" to thirty. 3030 30. you get full access to the entire platform for free all of the workouts all this great nutrition information all the support stuff that they have there totally free i really think you should try it out you've got no excuse what are you waiting for text road work to thirty thirty thirty. 30 i love these workouts they can't pay me to say that i like them they can pay me to read the ad read i'm telling you i like them i'm telling you you should try it go and check this out thanks very much to Body On Demand for supporting this show. All right, so uh, I do have a topic, though. All right, all right, what is it? The topic that I have, and I, I this is particular for you because I want you to weigh in. There are two different aspects of this topic that I would love for you to weigh in on, and uh, maybe even three. Oh. So the topic is, now do I say Elon Musk or Ellen, I, oh, Elon? E- oh, Elon.
0: E- Elon Musk. Elon what Musk what do I say. I you know I used to talk about Elon Musk a lot and I haven't really talked about Elon Musk lately he's he I uh, I've sort of lost track of what he's doing I see him mentioned but but I don't know why he's being mentioned and
1: Well he's the main thing I think he's up to now is of course the stuff with Tesla but he not that long ago was interviewed because as you know everybody wants everybody wants a Tesla and they can't keep up with demand and, and they keep saying, we're going to make 3,000 of these next month, 3,000 of this model. And then they, they fall short or they finally get it. But when they do get it, it it's revealed that everybody is working in the company at like, like they're working pretty much all around the clock. And Ellen, him, Elon himself is in a... Um, like, he's, he's in his office all the time, sleeping, sleeping in the factory, sleeping on the factory floor, like, never leaving, and, and, and some of the interviews and things that he says are, like, crazy, and people are worried, is he, is he okay? Is he going to be okay? Uh, and so, recently, he was on the Joe Rogan podcast, uh, which is a great podcast if, if you're into that kind of thing. I enjoy listening to it from time to time. He has uh, some really good guests.
0: What kind of thing is it? it's an interview
1: it is an interview show primarily an interview show and he asks a lot of really good questions and um joe rogan is a uh, a big fan of cannabis and so he was he was talking to uh elon musk about it and elon has said publicly oh i've never smoked or i've never tried it or oh you know this that's for people who just sit around and you can't be productive on it and whatever so, meanwhile, on on this episode, they're drinking they're drinking whiskey together throughout most of the episode,
0: mm-hmm, and fun.
1: and then at, at at a certain point in the episode, I guess it, Joe Rogan decided it was time to light up, mm-hmm. and uh, so i i I didn't watch the whole video. I just saw a clip of it. I, I'm not sure if it was a if it was technically if it was a blunt or just a big joint or exactly what, but uh, I think it was a blunt and. Uh, and so, he hands it to uh, uh, Elon Musk, and and Elon says something along the lines of, "You know, okay, well, it's it's legal, right?" And so he takes a puff. Now, the puff that he took, I won't get too. We're gonna. I don't want to get too nitpicky about it. You don't want to puff, puff. I analyze? didn't really see him inhaling the way that I'm familiar with people uh, who are who are enjoying some good cannabis you 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 inhale sometimes you hold it in i've heard three seconds is the magic number and then you breathe it out and then that's considered an inhale what it seemed like he did is almost like what like tv like bad tv smoking Mm. where the person's mouth yeah and, and, and kind of puff it right out like there's not really any inhalation going on that's what i think he did but the point is that's not even the point Mm-hmm. The point is... I hope not. Yeah.
0: The There's po- got to be more to it than this. There's more.
1: The point is uh, the internet and the stock markets both lost it completely. The stock market? Yes. And and although the stock returned to normal, it fell n- nine points or so, or 90 points Something something. There was a huge... Uh, huge drop in the value of the stock and it did come back a few days later but then there were lots of articles from people saying oh my god how could he do that uh should a ceo of a company do this and then there was the air force who works with him on the spacex stuff saying we're not sure what we're gonna do now maybe we can't work with him anymore because he 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 smoked some weed and then there's uh the spacex director is like i he's fine like really it's okay and then Uh, Other people are saying he should never have done this. And then other people are saying this is the worst thing. And let me just reiterate the fact that through the whole episode, he was drinking whiskey. And he took one sort of half-assed puff of a blunt. And so I want to throw this to you and say, um, from from your standpoint and experience with this, it is so many questions for you, John. One. Mm Is there a difference between, from your standpoint, between whiskey and weed? Is one better than the other? Is it a big deal that he drank the whiskey? Is it a big deal that he took a puff of the blunt? In other words, I want to hear all your thoughts on this as somebody who has a tremendous amount of, I think, experience and uh, most likely opinions on all of this happening. Have yeah. you seen? Have you seen the video? Have you seen? No, no,
0: no, no, no. I don't. I don't generally live over there on that part of the internet that is like watching things in real time, freaking out about them posting over and over, reading other posts, and mm-hmm. developing like really strong opinions about it. Where my heart is beating in my throat about what I think about Joe Rogan giving Elon Musk a joint. Mm-hmm. But I. But we must know. <clears throat> um, you know the the drug hysteria of the 20th century has cost more lives and more treasure and more it is. It has destroyed more wonderful things culturally more. It has destroyed families. It has, we have lost so much Mm -hmm. because of drug panic. Mm -hmm. Um, that I think it is like, like one of the great crimes of the 20th century. And I mean that, I mean, there have been a lot of crimes of the 20th century, but I think the drug war and the drug panic are right up there with the great crimes because I think they're crimes. I don't think that drug hysteria is, was necessary. I think it has, I think any, everybody involved in it, at one level or another knows that they're lying mm-hmm. certainly at a government level, certainly at a, at, at the le, at, up at any level where you've spent any time really um, thinking about the effects of drugs, you know, you're lying. If you, if you talk about it, um, if you, if you, if you go to war against them in this way, you know what I mean? Drugs are definitely a thing. They definitely affect us. Mm mm-hmm. Um, but like you say, whiskey, in my estimation, alcohol, it's the most prevalent, it's the most common drug after caffeine, I think. Um, and it's like pretty much as poisonous a thing as you can, as poisonous a drug as you can take. It definitely kills people all the time, every day. Yep. It results, unlike most drugs, it results in a lot of killing of other people. You know what I mean? No yep. one has ever committed murder because they got stoned on pot. No. Not a one. No. And I don't think anybody's ever crashed their car into a family of four because they were stoned on pot. I honestly don't. I got stopped by an Alaska state trooper one time, and he sp- and we were just like, oh, shit. Because I was driving with my friend David. We were on uh, the highway to Girdwood. And this cop pulled us over and like a couple of just ding dongs. We had a three foot graphics bong (laughs) in the front of the car. Yeah. And we were just (laughs) taking straight up bong hits Uh as we were driving. I was driving. and David was in the passenger seat. Uh (laughs) And so what do you do? You know, he, David just threw a jacket over this bong. Right. So the trooper walks up, you know, Alaska state troopers are a completely different breed of thing Trooper walks up and he sees this – he rolls down the well, – I roll down the window first of all and it's just like pot smoke everywhere. Trooper walks up and stands there and this kid in the passenger seat has got a giant tube under a coat between his legs. And so, of course, the first thing the cop says is, look, you're going to have to move that coat and show me what's under it. Because oh. it, <laughs> it looks like I'm – like a mortar or a or a bazooka, uh, yeah. And so David's like, uh, and you know, in a graphics bong is a nice thing. It was an investment on his part. And he's like, uh, here we go. And he takes the coat off, and we're both like, here we go. You know, like we're going to jail or whatever. And the trooper says, uh huh, okay, you guys got a bong. Mm-hmm. So let's see the weed. Uh, okay, so David takes out this. You know, he's got this cigar box just full of weed. He opens it up. He's like, you know, and the trooper says, ah, and so we hand him the weed and he says, look, we actually don't mind if we smoke a little pot and drive. Studies have shown, this is the trooper lecturing us on the side of the road. Studies have shown that it actually kind of focuses your attention a little bit more on the road. Mm -hmm. You're a little bit more cautious and a little bit more attentive. Uh, you know, which is, which acquitted with our sense of reality at the time. We were like, yeah, that's pretty true. I mean, (laughs) once you're stoned, you definitely like tunnel vision on what you're doing, but not so much that you're not looking around. I mean, you're definitely looking around and you're not, it's not like when drunk drivers are going 30 in a 70 either. You're not, you don't lose touch with reality, right? You're stoned, but you're not fucked up. Even if you're so stoned, you're fucked up. You're not I suppose there is a, an amount of stoned where it would be unsafe to drive. And I know now with all the legalization campaigns, now you've got billboards and cops saying all the time, like, if you're stoned, you're not safe to drive. Right. But I, you can be stoned and drive. I have driven thousands and thousands of mild, miles, baked out of my mind. And you're, you're, it does not really, it's not the thing that affects your driving. Anyway, so the, so we're like, yes, sir. You know, like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then he hears his radio go off like, and he kind of says, hold, hold on. And he cocks his head, like listening to back to his car where the radio is. Cause right. this is before cops had, I had the walkie like,
1: on their shoulder. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. They didn't have that. And then his radio goes, and he says, today's your lucky day. And he, he turns the, the box over, dumps the pot out on the ground, steps on it, once and kind of grinds his heel and then runs back to his car boop, and off he
1: goes yeah i I like that sound effect you just did (laughs)
0: so we're (laughs) sitting there oh that's a that's an old joke i used to do you know at riding in a car with like five stoners yeah and you're just cruising (laughs) along that's why you're so good at it (laughs) i'd be i'd sit in the back seat and i'd go and everybody would whoa you know like people, <laughs> it
1: scared it scared me i'm not even high right now
0: <laughs> people would you know start throwing their joints out the window and it, Oh, lots of fun, Good fun. Um, you're the worst so, you're the worst so of course i would open so of course what i did was i opened the car door after the trooper was out of sight and i grabbed all the weed that was now full of like gravel threw it back in the shoebox and off we went yeah and that and you know weed had been a Ala- uh, had been legal in alaska Uh, for a long time at that point. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the troopers just had a very sanguine idea. Now, while I was in my early or my late teens, you know, my dad was politically active up there and we would go to Rotary Club meetings together and he would, you know, take me to all these political events. And when the, when the politician, the Washington politicians were in town, we would have, we would go to these things. And I was, Kind of soaking it up. I was contemptuous of that world because I was a young revolutionary, but I also liked going to the events because it was a, it was a peak behind the curtain. And during this period, the, the predictable elements in Alaska politics were lobbying hard to make marijuana illegal again. Um, And it was, it wasn't legal to, it was one of those laws where it wasn't legal to grow, it wasn't legal to transport and it wasn't legal to sell, but you could have up to three ounces at your house and, and nobody, you know, if you couldn't grow it, you couldn't sell it, you couldn't transport it, it was, some law had to be broken for that pot to get to your house, but. That was like one of these don't ask, don't tell situations. I don't remember exactly what the law was, but up to a few, up to a a reasonable quantity, you could possess marijuana in Alaska and and it wasn't a crime. And this was during the late Reagan, early Bush years, Bush one.
1: Now, has it, didn't it become illegal and then get re-legalized or has it always, has it always stayed legal there?
0: No, this, that's what I'm saying. This group of, of Conservative politicians, ministers, cops, um, and not you know not the cops like that state trooper that dealt with us, but like the law and order types that like like authority and like to be dicks. Um, they they I remember sitting in in a couple of these meetings, these b- big meetings where all the movers and shakers were, where they would get up and give presentations about how pot was a gateway drug and how. The Reagan administration wasn't going to give us money for our roads if we didn't make pot illegal, and they succeeded. They succeeded in in re-illegalizing it. And I was, you know, I was smoking a lot of pot then, and really sneered at them as they gave these speeches. Yeah, I, I went to an event where G. Gordon Liddy debated Timothy Leary. <laughs> wow, and about drug laws in in part, and I stood up and asked a really snide question of G Gordon Liddy about whether or not he had ever smoked pot. Yeah. And he responded immediately that he hadn't, Mm -hmm. but I was too stoned to put (laughs) together like a really smart retort. (laughs) And I hadn't like, I hadn't worked it out before I got up there. I was just like, have you ever even smoked pot? And Liddy turned, you know, looked at me with his microphone and was like, no, I never have. And then looked at me and I was like, Oh, uh, And he was just like lame or, you know, he just, he made a, he, a look went across his face of like, exactly like you're an idiot. Mm -hmm. And I sort of just like slunk back to my chair feeling like I had, I had failed to be properly sarcastic. It was 100% because I was too baked to put a thought together. But that said, being too baked to put a thought together, which is the ultimate uh, that is the worst thing that happens when you're, when you're high, right? You get too baked to put a thought together. Um, the bad things that go along with that are you definitely think that everybody in the room is, uh, thinking that you are a dork when they're not, you know, it's, what it's, we used to talk about it all the time, the paranoia that you get when you're stoned. Yeah. It's not a paranoia that causes you to build a bunker under your house. It's just a, it's a, it's a fleeting paranoia. Like, whoa, I'm so paranoid right now. It's the—it's—it's it's like when Black Sabbath sings paranoid, that's what they're talking about, right? The the We think of paranoids now as being these dangerous gun hoarding. Right. Uh, like internet tinfoil hats. But throughout all the drug years, all the talk of paranoia was just talking about being stoned on pot and being paranoid about whether you know but and it's not paranoid like, oh my friends are sitting here hating me. It's that you'll say something like, G Gordon Liddy, have you ever smoked pot? (laughs) And then G Gordon Liddy says no No. (laughs) and stares at you, and then you don't say anything back and you're like, Oh, I'm such an idiot. Like everybody thinks I'm such an idiot right now. And you go back to your chair and you're like, Oh.
1: Is thinking right idiot. it's no, more of running. a i would call it a heavy suspicion you just feel yeah, very suspicious of, of, of different things
0: well and just you know like like nobody's thinking about you anymore dude they've moved on they're on to another thing like you're not uh, you you are the one that's worried about it. but so that's one of the bad effects but these these effects wear off if you are a chronic pot smoker the effect is that you don't grow up And this is true of any drug, alcohol included, every drug except I think caffeine and nicotine probably, but drugs that affect you emotionally. What they do is they intrude in between you and your emotional growth. So, you know, you, you hear people talk about emotional intelligence and drugs affect your emotions. That's their primary, um, that's their primary world. And so it's like, if it's like you were trying to study math and every day, um, as you were sitting, after you had taken your math lesson, as you were sitting, processing it, doing your homework, you, um, like you hit, not hit yourself with a hammer, but as you're trying to process your homework, you just took a sleeping pill or something and weren't able to finish processing your homework. Right. It's just emotionally drugs, they don't put you to sleep. They just direct your emotional work somewhere else because they stimulate your emotions. Right. So, so the emotions that you have when you're on drugs are not relevant to what's going on in your actual life. Mm hmm. And it it intrudes on processing your real emotions, your real feelings about things. Something happens, you're like, oh boy, I feel something like this. I feel something about this. I'd better smoke a joint or take a drink or something else. Do this. I'd better do some drugs right now because this emotional thing is so heightened. And then the drugs give you an emotion, a, 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 a facsimile of an emotion. And you go over and experience that. And whether it distracts you or whether it heightens the experience or whether it, it completely mutes it, it doesn't matter because it intrudes. And so you can smoke pot for decades and say, it never affected me. But, but the fact is you have never really worked through anything emotionally. Like you, you're good at your job probably. You, I'm almost certain that you can't find your wallet a lot of the time.
1: You're talking about people who are maybe smoking like like throughout the day every day
0: well, or, or you know, people who of, smoke
1: once a, a month I mean, a lot what? of
0: different ways to be a be a pot smoker I, if you're smoking once a month, no, that means that twenty nine and a half of the rest of the days of the month you're processing your emotions like right. pot doesn't have a this is the thing about this elon Musk thing like if he got stoned the next day he's once again unstoned, right, and there is zero. There is less lasting effect of having been stoned yesterday than there is lasting effect of having been drunk yesterday. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you get wasted baked, you could have a pot hangover the next day, but it's a pot. I mean, if you eat 14 hot dogs, you'll have a hangover. (laughs) A sodium hangover. If you eat four hot dogs, you will. So like whether or not it affects you the next day. Yeah. But I mean, if you smoke pot once a month, there is not a thing more benign than that. I mean, honestly, and if I could smoke pot once a month, my God, what a gift because pot is great. It gives you, it gives you little insights into things. It gives you little, I mean, it gives you little gifts, right? You do, you see through the fabric a little bit, you know, it, it, you see through the, the matrix just a little, not a ton. You're not like, it's not some red pill. You just see things differently. You're like, whoa! I never really. I mean, it's a cliche to say like, whoa! Did you ever really look at a at a garbage can before? But but it's real too. You do. You look at a garbage can. And you're like, whoa! I never noticed about them that blank. You know that they're built to be stacked or they're made. You, you know, you see some aspect of their manufacture on the in these common things that you. That we look at all the time so we don't notice things about. It. And pot causes you to notice those. things. But I can't smoke pot one time a month. I, if I started smoking pot again, I would very quickly smoke pot all, t- all the time. And a lot of people are like that, right? So, I'm, no, I'm talking about chronic pot smokers that are stoned every day. That, that regard it as a part of their life. And again, they're not dangerous. They're not violent. They're not hurting anybody except maybe their kids who are like my dad stoned all the time and that doesn't really hurt him as bad as like my dad beats me with a belt mm-hmm. but it is a kind of emotional distance that you put between yourself and your kids or your lover or everybody that is just like oh a lot of the things that are going down in your life you're just stoned for and so you're not 100% sharing the experience with other people you're just in your like stoned bubble mm-hmm. now If I had to pick between somebody that was in a stoned bubble and somebody that was drunk every day, it's like no brainer. I would rather deal with a stoner, both when they're stoned and when they're not stoned, than I would deal with a drunk when they're drunk or not drunk. Because alcohol tells a lot more lies to you. It hurts you way worse. It is way more of an emotional barrier. Alcohol is the worst emotional barrier. I mean, alcohol is the date rate drug Mm -hmm. right alcohol is the violence drug it is the end up in a cop car drug it is all the bad things all the bad things you know heroin is bad for you but you but the crimes you commit on heroin are just because you have burned every bridge and now you don't have any money and you still need heroin right so you commit crimes in order to get heroin but heroin itself—if—if if you just gave junkies heroin, they would—they they, couldn't—they could not give a shit about committing crimes. It's not the the, the drugs are only associated with crime. They're not—they don't cause they, the drug itself doesn't cause crime. And—and and, you know maybe like well no, I guess if you were super methed out, if you get if you get really really tweaked on meth where you've been up for several days, all you're doing is meth. You're, you're like, you're really, uh, like you're, you're, you've been firing on all cylinders so much that you're starting to short out. You, those people can become dangerous, violent and dangerous and because they're, because they just lose, they lose touch with reality. And you'll see, you'll see every once in a while, somebody, some somebody in the news who strips off all their clothes and runs down the middle of the street with, you know, waving a sword. Right. Most of the time, those are, those are, uh, people in psychological crisis, but sometimes there's a major drug component to it. And they've just, they've taken drugs to the point that it's, that it's broken them somehow and they get shot as often as not. Um, so, I mean, there are, there, there are quantities of certain drugs that will make you violent and dangerous but the number of people that are drunk and and committing like violent crime I mean it's like an exponent of of a thousand over the number of people that that freak out on PCP once and and decide that you know that their banana is a gun mm-hmm So anyway, any, any, any like hand wringing about Elon Musk taking a puff of a joint is a component of a cultural lie that has, that I think is like incredibly destructive and despicable.
1: And why do you think it's so persistent now with as many states as we have uh, going uh, you know, making marijuana legal just today. Just today, uh, there was a big uh, vote that passed for medical research for cannabis. It was the Medical Cannabis Research Act of 2018. It just passed the Judiciary Committee. The point of this is that it, it will let uh, the Department of Veterans Affairs study and research. Cannabis for helping uh, for helping veterans with like chronic pain, uh, PTSD, and that kind of thing. Like we're God we're moving right. we're moving in this direction. It's happening more and more, and yet uh, a CEO of like a California kind of cool car company takes a half ass puff, and it's like the worst thing in the world. And should he should he still be allowed? to be CEO of this company, knowing that he, he did that.
0: Well, like a lot of collective lies, they are collective lies are signals. Like they are like, for instance, going to college is a collective lie that we have that, that in the 20th century, And into the 21st century, going to college became, went from being a thing that was, um, a a thing that signaled that you were a member of a certain class to being a new collective lie, which was a thing that signaled. Ultimately, what it signals is that you are capable of following the rules for four more years Mm -hmm. after what, after what your average person is capable of doing. And high school is, you know, past Past the point where you have been educated enough to use farm implements. High school is, I mean, it's great that we're learning these things, but also there's a lot of what you do in high school and college that is just like, can you pass these tests? And the tests are not of intelligence. They are of obedience. Are you obedient? Can you follow these, not difficult instructions, but can you do them over and over? Will you, are you dependable? We will hire you. If you don't, if you can't, then we don't know. We honestly don't know if you are dependable. College just proves to us that you can follow instruction and will be obedient. And it's why the military won't promote you past a certain point if you're not married. Like you can be a young officer, but as you move up into, you know, as you become a major, you'll find that you are under a lot of pressure to get married because they don't want a colonel that isn't married. And they don't want a colonel that isn't married because being married is a, is a further way of convincing everybody that you are reliable Mm. and that you are obedient. Mm -hmm. And so culture wide, I mean, if you have a, if you have a degree in sociology, you can get a job anywhere. It does. It's not like the, it's not like the degree matters. They'll train you to do anything. Um, it's, It is conformity that people are looking for. And this happened to me. I remember, I think I've talked to you about it when I was on the campaign trail and a sitting city council person, you know, took me aside and said, the problem is we don't know how you're going to vote on things. And, and nobody likes that. And I said, well, I'm going to vote my conscience. And he was like, wrong. Right. Like, no, that's not what we're asking. We want to know what you're going to do because knowing what, knowing what, how people are going to act in government is very important in terms of being able to count votes in advance and know where to direct resources to, uh, to accomplish outcomes. And somebody who, who sits here and is just like, I come from outside, I'm going to do what seems right. That is like that nightmare scenario. Right. And I was like, Whoa, I get it. You know, like he was explaining politics is a machine. It is a, it is a a set of organizations and it has a system and the system works. And whether you don't like the system, whether it's the best system is not a thing where we are uh, adjudicating here. We're, this is the system and we are, we are sticking to it. So what, what all this like hullabaloo on wall street, what, what it's all about with Elon Musk, it has nothing to do with pot. It has to do with, is he, obedient is he reliable is he is he performing the rituals we all agree are the ones that um where where we sign off on this per, on calling this person a ceo on calling this person a captain of industry there are so i've met in the last couple of years ceos of companies that are not qualified to bag groceries (laughs) intellectually. Right. You know what I mean? Like they are, they are not leaders. They are not smart. They are not clever or proactive. They do not have strategic capacity. They are just CEOs that found their way there because they performed the rituals at various spots along the way. And they're not CEOs of companies that employ 10,000 people. But they are CEOs of companies that employ 300 people. Right. And they they go to meetings and they say, I'm a CEO and they will be forever. You know what I mean? Like they got there and it's not because they're great, but there are expectations when you're there. So what Elon has always been doing and why I think he's hilarious is he's one of these tech billionaires that, you know, like Richard Branson, who thinks he can reinvent the wheel well richard branson does it in a way that um that's very rakish right richard branson surrounds himself with beautiful girls in in skimpy uniforms right goes he owns, water
1: skiing with them and
0: yeah he yeah. owns an island somewhere if there were pictures of richard branson sitting on a beach surrounded by topless girls uh, everybody would titter but none of that really violates the dude code of ceoing that's just like what they all aspire to frankly right richard branson does not get pictures taken of him smoking weed with joe rogan because he recognizes like he's performing a role he's 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 out there performing but he he's not he's not a beatnik you know he's he's making deals or whatever Um, so, so that's why I think you get that reaction. It's a reaction. It's a, it's a, it's a reaction that says this guy needs to be taught a lesson that he can, he can push us only so far culturally the, you know, the people that, that trade money and the people that that um the, the people that determine sort of at a larger level like uh, whether or not somebody's in or out now the the punditry the the hoi polloi mm-hmm. and their reaction to it they're just they're just following you know they're they're i mean they're dummies right i mean there's a right now in seattle there are every day there's a headline in the newspaper about how the real estate market is cooling. Mm -hmm. Well, Seattle's real estate market is still the second hottest real estate market in the country. But writing about how the real estate market is cooling because of a reading of some statistics is super, uh, it's like what reporters do now they're, they're drumming up news. You know, they're just trying to like, Find something to talk about. Right. That makes everybody uh, uh, feel insecure. Like the real estate market is changing. Like that makes people, that makes a lot of people insecure. Even people that, that hope that the real estate market crashes. (laughs) It just, it, you know, it's like, it's like all this, uh, this storm chasing that's happening with Florence. Like everybody's like, Oh, it's a disaster. It's a car crash in slow motion. Like I get to stand here and watch it. And, and I think that there's a, that there's residue of, and there are still states in America where you can get arrested for having a joint and put in jail.
1: Well, I think, I I think I live in one of those states.
0: And have your kid taken from you. I mean, they can still use that to ruin families like they've been doing for decades. They can still use it to, to repossess your car. They can do, you know, it's like very profitable to be anti-drug and to allow marijuana to be freely traded is in the bigger picture, much more profitable in the sense that it, in a GDP standpoint, but the money goes somewhere else. It doesn't go to the, it doesn't go to buying cool cop cars and it doesn't go to the, you know, industrial paranoia, which is very different from weed paranoia. Mm. Industrial paranoia likes to sell you bulletproof vests, you know. (laughs) Anyway, I think, I think, I'm excited about LSD being used therapeutically. Yeah, I believe that there should not be. um, I don't believe that drug use is an issue that it, it belongs to the law or the courts. Crimes do burglary does belongs to the police that's where i would like to call the police if someone is burglarized if that burglar was on drugs or was burglarizing to do drugs the real question or the real crime is that they burglarized and the police are should be good at solving burglaries or investigating them they're really bad at dealing with any of the consequences of drugs. They're bad at intercepting drug transport. They're bad at uh, busting drug dealers. They're bad at, super bad at helping people on drugs in any way, shape, or form. So, like, I don't believe that drugs are a, are a cop problem. But then again, you know, we're, we're also... we're also a Protestant nation in a way and the, the Protestantism that, that is this, this vein throughout the country. And I, and I mean it as a kind of like, as a founding tone that Protestantism is judgmental. It's very, um, It's very concerned with what your neighbors are doing. It's very concerned with um, black and white morality. It is not, Protestantism is not a nuanced approach to the universe because it's sort of, it had to thread itself in there between Catholicism and Judaism and Islam as like a different path. Mm -hmm. And the different path was, required it to be stricter in some ways stricter and more, um, less rooted in the natural world and more rooted in the mind. And so the United States will always have this element of it, that this element that isn't live and let live. It's not, laissez-faire about things you know other other countries, european countries are proud of themselves over much i think but they are some of them right more relaxed about um, about areas of morality that have to do with personal choice and um, as long as you as long as you tow certain lines right you're nobody's Nobody's really like monitoring your, your behavior in, in quite the same way. I mean, believe me, in Bavaria, if you try to cross the street against the light, you're going to find that there are very strict cultural mores about breaking the law there and they are going to yell at you. Just normal people on the street will yell at you if you jaywalk. And that doesn't happen here, but. There is something about that Protestantism that will never let, you know, that's like a terrier with a rat. It will Mm. never let go Mm -hmm. of the idea that your neighbors like are up to something over there and you need to get involved in it somehow. They're, they're doing something, you know, your neighbors are doing something wrong. They're folding their napkins wrong or they're touching, (laughs) touching each other's buttholes or something that requires your, (laughs) your like interest, your involvement. But uh, anyway, it was so frustrating to me. And like so many things in, in life, you just go, well, you know, it's, it's all going to work itself out. But, but it often means like 50 years of of um, just like gross waste. It's, mm. it's, it's waste more than anything. Wasted effort. Wasted Energy. If you took all the energy that we've spent thinking, talking, and interdicting, and prosecuting, and, you know, all the money, all of the the entire, like, dark economy of drugs. If you took all that energy, all the murder, and had just used it for something else, anything else, guitar lessons for everybody, mm-hmm. or... You know, it's as, it is as bad and wasteful and destructive as any war and more so probably. And it just, it's, hap- it's all happened right under our noses and we've all been complicit in it. Like, oh, did you hear about Jane's son? He got arrested for pot and we all go, oh, ooh, too bad. Nobody in the world gives a shit. But you know, little old ladies are like, oh, do you think that he was using pot? Do you think that the he used pot and, was, and it made him what? Like a monster? Pot monster?
1: We would like to say thank you very much to Brooke Linen. Brooke Linen, Let me tell you about what, what, what this is. In early 2014, a husband and wife, Vicky and Rich, I don't know them personally, but I feel like I'm sleeping on their sheets. Maybe I, I should know who they are. Uh, they went out and they were traveling around. They said, you know what? We want to bring five-star hotel quality sheets to everyday life. Everybody should have these kinds of great sheets that are out there. You shouldn't just experience them when you're paying $1,000 a night on your honeymoon in some hotel. You should have them every night. But why are they so expensive? Why are sheets so expensive? Most betting is marked up as much as 300%. And that seems crazy, Why is that? How can we do better? So they figured out how to do better. You take out the middleman. You keep things personal. It's between them and us, the customers. So from design to manufacturing to customer service and beyond, they take this small business approach. It is a husband and wife. They're involved in everything. You know what I'm saying? This is their baby. And they have made these great, awesome sheets that are super high end, that are super luxury that you can get in your own house and you're thinking, oh, it's a big deal, I have fine sheets. Trust me, awesome sheets make all the difference in the world. You're going to feel better and if you feel better when you're in your bed, you're going to sleep better. It's just a fact. So go check these sheets out. They're over at brooklinen.com, B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N, brooklinen.com and when you're there, check out what they have. They have the These are the, the most comfortable sheets that I've ever slept on. They're really, really nice. You can just feel the quality of these things. And they have this exclusive offer that's just for listeners of this program, $20 off and free shipping when you use the promo code ROADWORK, one word, at brooklinen.com. They are positive you're going to like these. So they give you a risk-free 60-night satisfaction guarantee and you get a lifetime warranty on all of their sheets and the comforters that they make. They make great comforters too. But the only way that you'll get 20 bucks off and the free shipping is to use the promo code ROADWORK at brooklinen.com. So again, go check it out, brooklinen.com, promo code ROADWORK. I think you're going to love these sheets. They're really awesome. And uh, maybe maybe even the best sheets ever. Why not? Go check them out, brooklinen.com. Why do you think that something like sitting there smoking whiskey is smoking whiskey or drinking whiskey? You can smoke or drink it, I guess. Why do you think something like drinking whiskey is no big deal, but taking a puff of, uh, of a joint is such a big deal? Like, Why is there that disconnect there? Because I'll tell you what, for me personally and in my own personal experiences… Alcohol has proven to be much, 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 much worse than weed ever has for me uh, uh, from the health standpoint, from the after effects standpoint, from how I feel when I've had some, I don't drink because I don't feel good when I drink. And so, you know, like I've had plenty and I've come to this conclusion over lots of testing. I'm way more upset at him for drinking whiskey than I would ever be for him taking a, a puff of a joint. You're I think upset
0: it's for, at Elon Musk for drinking whiskey. If
1: I was going to be upset, I would be more for that. I'm not upset about either because I don't care, mm-hmm. but like we know, we know factually, scientifically from anecdotal stories to research and beyond that alcohol is poisonous. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: We know that. And because of all the laws that have been in place, it's been very, very hard uh, for there to have been a lot of research on cannabis and how, what its effects are. But the research that's there, both scientific research that's done as well as all the anecdotal stories that you hear are that at least it seems, and I'm not, I'm not necessarily talking about um, combusting it and inhaling it, but I'm talking about products that can be made from cannabis as well as maybe smoking it and inhaling it. They need to study that more to find out, but it seems like, Every time they do research into this stuff, they find out some other kind of benefit that it has. They're not finding out, oh, it's really, we thought it was bad for you and there it is all along. It was, look, they're actually coming back and saying, wow, there's so many compounds here that are so beneficial to so many people, from people who are veterans who are dealing with uh, PTSD, to people with chronic pain, to people who are recovering from cancer, to people who want to sleep better, to, I mean, you name it. The people with anxiety, you name it, they're finding out that, wow, it actually can help with that. And yet the more research that they do uh, on, on alcohol, the more like, yeah, maybe it's probably not so good for you. And, and it's like, you don't have to be high to get so many of those benefits from the cannabis related products. Like it doesn't require a lot of them doesn't require you getting stoned. A lot of them, they can get the beneficial things out of it and, and you don't get high from it. You just don't have anxiety anymore. A lot of them are actually coming from hemp, which is a similar, but different plant. So there's and and it's like, finally we can get this stuff researched, but even if you just look at straight up taking a puff from a joint to me that's far less in fact i would say that seems to me to be more educated and a smarter thing to do than drinking the whiskey and maybe i'm wrong about that but that's what i believe and i don't i don't understand why that's such an issue for people it's funny because you know my mom who grew up i mean I, I won't won't say she was a full-on hippie, but like she was in that time period she was in the Woodstock time period, and like my dad got busted for for pot in college like they were in that culture they were in that was going on back then. you know my mom says she didn't she doesn't really like it like she didn't like the way that it made her feel, and I think part of that was because she was super paranoid about prior to smoking, paranoid about getting arrested and stuff like that. And, you know, she also smoked for a good number of years. And now I think she associates any kind of inhaling of smoke to be bad, even even though like the studies show that whatever uh, smoking weed might do to your uh, lungs potentially is actually undone by the weed itself, by the anti-inflammation uh, capacity of it. But yeah, you know, I think they need to study that more. But the point is, she won't. She wouldn't smoke anything. But like now in Florida, they're starting to that they you can get like um like the extract from it, like the oil from it, and stuff that that could help. You know, she has a, a friend who's an older uh, woman who is taking it for a medical thing, and it's like really helping her. You know, and it's like here's this thing that the more we learn about it, the better it seems to be for us. And like the more we learn about alcohol, the worse it seems to be for us. And yet, alcohol is available pretty much everywhere. There's no stigma associated with buying it and drinking it, unless you're like a, a hardcore religious type, which I respect. Uh, and yet, we know it's poison. If you If you sat down right now and smoked as much weed as you could nonstop for weeks, you would not die. You would not have any permanent damage you mm-hmm. would you would be fine maybe and if you started drinking and didn't stop drinking you would die pretty quick like i could i could right now with probably one bottle of vodka i could kill myself if i drank that whole thing i would oh, probably well, you, die
0: you could do it with 50 packs of hot dogs too i mean that's not exactly the <clears throat> the thing is uh, like all the all the studies about pot and and alcohol and all the things they do and all this, that, and the other, like none of that is really relevant either in the big picture. Like people, people are studying house paint and sunlight and (laughs) right. Those can kill you too. Right. And a lot of the studies that people are doing are because graduate schools work the way they do. And because scientific funding works the way it does, you know, in a perfect world where, um, where you could study what you want to study and not have to worry about getting that st- and and that would be your job and you wouldn't have to worry about getting paid uh, people would study different things than they do
1: my producer just messaged me and she she says you can die from drinking too much water too right
0: there it is yeah you can die from yeah, i mean you can sit and hold your breath and die um but the, it's the super point is like do. like w- why
1: is the whiskey okay? And not it's not it. It's not only that it's it, that it's okay. It's that no one even cares. No one even notices. No one even says anything about it. It's not even a thing. People don't even see that as a thing. And if oh. they do, they're probably thinking, oh, "I wouldn't mind a whiskey right now."
0: No, they do though. I mean, alcoholism and alcohol, like it is a it is a major major social and public health problem. Like when somebody. If somebody shows up in my house with a bottle of wine and they open it and they have a couple of glasses of wine, mm-hmm. I, you know, obviously I'm not, uh, shocked and dismayed by it, but I'm watching it mm-hmm. like, huh? All right. Well, wine is good, I guess. Sure. I mean, I don't drink wine and you brought a bottle of wine to my house, so you want to drink it. Right. Like the point is not w- uh, the lie of, oh, drinking alcohol is social. You know, that is a, that's a beautiful, um, that's a beautiful story. And if everybody's drinking together, there, there is a, alcohol is a facilitator of a certain kind of lack of inhibition. And if you have five people who are inhibited, new to know one another or uncomfortable for some reason, and you give them all three drinks. And, you know, it's described as loosening them up. And what it is is, you know, the blood starts pumping. They all talk a little bit louder. They all think they're more interesting than they are. And it is, I mean, you, there are so many phrases to describe it. It is a social lubricant. If you show up at somebody's house where that person doesn't drink and mm-hmm. you bring a bottle of wine to drink. Yeah, yeah. You are not interested in whether or not, you, you know, you're not bringing alcohol this. Are, to are you party. speaking
1: from experience? Like have people done that?
0: Oh, people drink around me all the time. Yeah. Know, whether or not they, whether or not they bring it to um, my house, or whether or not we go out for something, and they're like, "Bartender," and start drinking. Uh, when I'm not drinking, it doesn't. It 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 no longer is about let's commune over this. Mm-hmm. It's about I want to feel the effects of alcohol mm-hmm. right now, mm-hmm. and the effects of alcohol are going to. Help me with this encounter, and when that happens, I I note it for sure. Like interesting, okay. If somebody drinks more than four or five drinks, uh, I call for the check mm-hmm. because it's no longer ta- I'm no longer there. Right, you know, like you're, I'm not, you're on- not
1: right. You're you, they can't they can't see you as a human anymore
0: or whatever. We're not on the same ride, and I don't and it and the payoff for me starts to. I mean, it's diminishing returns real fast, real fast. Um, so I mean, alcohol is not, I mean, maybe in 1950, no one would have challenged alcohol, but alcohol is challenged all the time. Now, all around us, people are watching alcohol super hard cause we, cause we see the damage it does. There's nobody, when I, when I started drinking, it was still, uh, I think a, a majority of people weren't aware of alcoholism. They didn't, you know. I I remember sitting in an AA meeting and a and a somebody got. It was one of those AA meetings where people would get called on. There are a lot of different kinds of AA meetings, and sometimes it, you know, there's a there's someone sitting at the front, and they're like, "Let's hear from you." Um, that's not the most common style, but it's like kind of a rock and roll style. Mm-hmm. And I remember a person sitting in the room you know, stood up and was like, I don't even know why I'm here. Like the court made me come. <laughs> um, and somebody was like, for what? They were like, well, because I got five DWIs and the room all started to laugh. And I was just like, really? And you don't know why you're here. <laughs> and they're like, well, what's weird about that? Like, you know, and their, their mentality was like, I got caught five times doing something that everybody does that shouldn't even be illegal. What's the big deal? And it's like, if you get five DWIs, you're driving drunk all the time. You have to be driving drunk constantly to get nailed five times before you're 30. And that means you're a fucking drunk. <laughs> and, right. And you might not want to stop drinking. And so I don't agree with like being sent to AA by the court. I think that's a bad, bad, bad way to do it. hmm um, you may not want to start drinking or stop drinking, but you should not have a driver's license. You should be like prohibited by law from mm-hmm. driving a car. Uh, and that that person was just. Sh- but I don't think that's true anymore. I don't think you can grow up in America and not be aware of alcoholism, right? And not be aware of the signs of it, and not be. Oh, yeah, my my kids
1: know what. You know, they're single digit age. They know what it is.
0: Sure, and so you can be in denial about it but you can't just be like blind to it. I think the difference though is that alcohol is a, uh, is a compressor. It's a, it's a suppressor. Uh, and we talk about things being, um, stimulants or depressants. Mm -hmm. And that is a, a way too simplistic way of describing it. But alcohol elevates your, um, your performance, it elevates your mood briefly, but it doesn't. El- alcohol is not enlightening. You know what I mean. You never have an epiphany when you're drunk, mm. unless it's a, unless it's a stupid epiphany, unless it's like, <laughs> you know what, I should sell everything and, blah. you know, it's not. Alcohol is not a. It's not spiritual in the same way. The spirituality in alcohol is is this kind of the community that happens among people who truly are using it as a communal drug. Who are like, you know what, man, like you've you're my best friend. And the other person's like, I know we just met, but you're my best friend. Oh, we're gonna be friends forever, man. <laughs> like it creates a kind of <laughs> of temporary situational Uh, like bonding, love and affection in, in small groups. And it's super useful for that. You know, that's, you see those guys in, 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 on a battlefield who are just like, I'd die for you, bro. And I, and I saw it a lot when I was walking across Europe, I would walk into these little village bars at the end of the night. I'd be so fucking lonely. I would sit down at the bar and I'd be like, Hey, nice to meet you. And the, you know, the little dude in Hungary or whatever, and we didn't speak the same language and they would buy me a beer and they'd be happy to meet me. And if I had sat there and drank beer with them, I would be friends with them still, you know, like, because it would have been like, Oh, you guys are the only ones that understand me. And they'd be like, <laughs> and I'd be like, yes, you know me, you know me. And I would feel like I'd really shared something with them, but it isn't, there isn't a, any component to it. That's like, wait a minute, what am I, you know, like I never really thought about property rights. Mm. You know, I never really, I mean, is my marriage working? You know, <laughs> th- that just doesn't happen. Right. And that is reliable. Alcohol is v- much more reliable. And the ways in which it's unreliable is that a certain number of people black out. And a certain number of people become angry or violent when they're drunk. You know, like a like an angry drunk where their personality changes. Alcohol will, will affect a personality change. And maybe rarely it turns somebody that's really straight-laced into somebody that's super affectionate and available. That's less common, I think, than that it turns a normal person into an angry asshole. Mm. But those are within the context of like our culture, those little personality shifts, um, are again like manageable. And until recently, like now we recognize alcohol is a, is a drunkenness is the arena where most sexual violence happens. Mm -hmm. And until recently, culturally, We considered that a manageable side effect because that was private business. That was, um, that was stuff that we didn't talk about. That was stuff that was because she was asking for it or whatever. You know, that was a, a whole universe of stuff that we didn't address. We didn't talk about, but it was manageable according to the, according to the social, the way we socially govern one another super less threatening than the prospect that somebody would have an experience that they couldn't account for where something that they had always accepted became something that now they were questioning. And that's the experience that you have on drugs like pot or mushrooms, Mm, right? Or LSD or, I mean, frankly, even cocaine, anything that, that puts you, but not so much cocaine, but those, you know, the psychoactive drugs. And those are terrifying. Like the idea that, uh, that your daughter would go to college and wake up in some strange guy's bed without her pants on and not know what had happened was more acceptable to mom and dad USA than that she would, go to a pot party and come back and say, I no longer believe in capitalism mm-hmm. or in, <laughs> in or in Jesus. <laughs> right. Right. Or in parental authority over children or something, you know? And you know, the the original the original prohibition against pot was just that it was uh that the early adopters of it were Blacks and jazz musicians, but, but what it really represented was, you know, it is a threat to authority in a way that alcohol actually kind of reinforces authority, um, recapitulates it. And that is, that's still true. Although what we call authority and what we respect about authority is changing, changing so, so fast There are whole worlds, I'm sure whole worlds of people listening to this show that feel like drunks are a lesser form of of personhood. But being high is, I guess, it's right in the word. It's a higher form of being an intoxicated person. I'm of the opinion Drugs and alcohol are all super useful tools. If you are capable of self-managing and using those tools and, and thinking of them as tools, then you are in a very, very lucky group of people. Most people are either not aware of the, of the fact that they are tools. They're not using them as tools. And they find that those, that, that they, that those, uh, intoxicants make their lives less manageable, not more. And for most of those people, I think, look, not doing drugs is way better. Just do your work, you know, feel your feelings, experience your experiences, do the fucking hard work. If you're sad, be sad. If you come home from work and you're tired, be tired. You don't need a drink. Now, if you are using it, if you're using alcohol consciously as a, as something other than a medicine for your feelings. But if you're using it like, you know what, tonight I'm going to drink because I want to, I want to have the experience with these business guys of like, of feeling a false intimacy with them. <laughs> like that's, I'm trying to think of the, the reasons that you would drink that weren't bonding. Mm-hmm. Bonding, I think, is the, is, the, is what alcohol is a good tool for. But if you're like, I'm going out to the Oregon coast this weekend, I'm going to do mushrooms, I'm going to smoke weed. I'm going to look out at the ocean and I'm going to think about some stuff. Like, fuck, yeah, do it. <laughs> but but don't come back home and then sit and smoke weed and think about it more. That's not helping. Come home and don't smoke weed and think about it. You know? Yeah. Like, if you come home and smoke weed and think about it, well, you're just, you know, you're not processing. You're just, you know, you're just... um you're burying it under a under a further layer of sand and that's the that's the diminishing returns problem of drugs you have your peaks you can never recapture them you know when they are and you carry those with you you carry your peaks with you the rest of your life and you can't plan them you know you can't be like today's the day i'm going to have the best drug experience i ever had because it just doesn't work that way usually people that say that are ones who have already had the best drug experience they're ever going to have. And they're hoping, hoping, hoping that they can get there again. Uh, And you can't, you know, because you can't, you can't split your mind wide open a second time. It's just like the first time I was at a, at a party and a guy came up behind me and was giving me a shoulder rub. And then he reached up and started pulling on my ears and he pulled my ears like he was, he was massaging my ears and he pulled my ears out and there was a giant kind of, of uh, sucking sound. I feel, like, that's
1: hot. You're grossing me out right now.
0: Like, no, don't do this. And it was incredible. It was incredible because he had freed my ear canals from their, from the place they had been stuck for my whole life. I don't care for that and and, but i've never been able to get do it again it only Mm, happened
1: once. good you shouldn't have done it the first time
0: (laughs) i didn't do it he shouldn't have done it no one should do that i was at a hippie party and everybody was touching each other no one this was one of the things that happened one of the touchings and we everybody was stoned it was a completely stoned event couldn't couldn't get back there also can't get back to the highest i've ever been either can you and unless you're 18 years old, you're probably are. Unless you unless you haven't done drugs yet, you probably don't have your most stoned experience waiting for you in the future. I think you're right. You might have an experience of having your ears pulled in the no, future, though. No, it sounds that's, like no. Not if
1: I can. <laughs> not if I can help it.